Well, good morning, everyone. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And we're going to talk about the workplace. We're going to talk about the workplace. Did you know that the Bureau of Labor and Statistics recently did a study? And for the typical average person between 24 and 54 with children on an average work day, so let's just say Monday to Friday, for that typical person, this is how their, their day goes, 24-hour day. They spend 8.6 hours of work-related activities, 8.6. 7.6 hours of sleep, 2.6 hours of leisure and sports, 1.2 hours of caring for others, 1.1 hour of eating and drinking. Now, for some of you, I think it might be a little more than that, but... And 1.1 hour of household activities. How they get the point ones and point twos, I have no idea. But folks, what we're talking about this morning, what God is communicating to us this morning on an average work week is the thing that takes the most of our time, is it not? And if we can't walk out our Christianity in the workplace, then are we really walking out our Christianity? So isn't it exciting that God is going to speak to us from his word? And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on this back table here. Get that Bible out. Open it to Ephesians chapter 6. Fix your eyes on verse 5. And read along with me silently as we hear God's word and hear life and hear hope and, and hear reality. So we can walk out our Christianity. We can walk the walk. We can, we can be who we are in Christ in this crucial area of our lives. The workplace. So Ephesians chapter 6. And I begin with verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will, As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you anoint my lips to speak your word, and I pray that you would anoint the ears of those here to hear it. I pray there'd be no distractions. I pray that your spirit would move powerfully, that you would build your church through the preaching of your word, that you would bring all things under the headship of Christ, Father, as you bring us under the authorities in our lives, in our workplace. Oh, Father, We want to see Jesus here this morning. Reveal him, I pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about being filled with the spirit and what it looks like to walk the walk or to walk the talk. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, one of the metaphors of walking the walk in England is... A person that doesn't walk the walk or doesn't live what they say is kind of like a person that's all mouth and no trousers. Ridiculous. So they're not backing up what they're saying. 
They're hypocrites. And so we talked about in Ephesians 5, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It's a command. We talked about what that command looks like. And then, beginning in verse 21, God says, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're daily being filled with the Spirit, it needs to work itself out in family relationships. We talked two weeks ago about it working itself out in the marriage relationship. So so we said to, to the ladies, ladies, God is bringing everything under the headship of Christ. That's the theme here in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.10. He's going to unite, that word unite can also be uh, interpreted headship, under the headship of Christ, under the authority of Christ. Jesus is Lord, and as he fills us with his spirit, because we're his children, now we walk that out in every aspect of life. So ladies, as you come under your husband's authority... You're actually coming under God's authority. Men, as you love and cherish your wives, you're coming under God's authority. And then last week we talked about parents and children and children, youth. As you submit to your parents and obey them, you're actually obeying God and you're part of this cosmic plan to bring everything under the headship of Christ. That means you're under the authority of your parents. And fathers and mothers, you're not to provoke your children. But come under the headship of Christ who is kind and gentle and merciful and train them. And now today, we look at how this is worked out in the workplace. How, how, how being filled with the Spirit, how, how God bringing everything under the headship of Christ works itself out in your life and my life, Monday to Friday. In that 40, 50 hour work week. What being filled with the Spirit looks like in the workplace. And here's what it looks like. The main point, I believe, of this message is this. It looks like employees willingly serve employers as unto the Lord. And employers respectfully treat employees before the Lord. So this is what it looks like for God to bring everything under the headship of Christ. I need to explain something to you. You may be reading here and say, well, Al, that says servants or slaves. Obey your masters. But I need to explain something to you. That slaves in the first century were a little bit different than slaves that we would think of in America. See, slaves in the first century, they were almost part of the family. So we're still kind of talking about these Hausentaufen, which is just German for house tables. Thought I'd impress you with my German. Luther coined that term. And so these are house tables. This is how do we live out our Christianity in the familiar relationship. So you've got to understand that a slave and a master here in this scripture is almost more of a family relationship. Now, they're still slaves. They can still be mistreated. and Oftentimes, they horribly were beaten, mutilated, crucified even for the, for the smallest of things. And, and those kind of masters were bad masters. But here's what you've got to understand. This book was written to Ephesians, people living in modern-day Turkey. And probably a third of this congregation were slaves. A third. Which means if you add in the masters that were in the congregation, we're talking well over half, maybe 60-70% of the people he's writing to were either slaves or masters. Some say there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. When you would conquer a nation, you would bring their people in as slaves. And and again, think differently from American slavery. Think first century slavery. They became part of your household. If you've come from a Hispanic world, and and I'm not saying that it's slavery in the Hispanic world, but if you've ever been to another country, uh, uh, 
Dominican Republic, I've seen this in Mexico, uh, oftentimes there will be people that become part of your family that serve you. They'll, they'll serve your meals. They'll, they'll help you with your children. We don't really have that in America, but there are, there's such poverty in many of these countries that it's a kindness to hire someone and even bring them into their home. And I know of a story in the Dominican Republic where a very wealthy family that's actually part of Miguel Nunez's church uh, actually adopted the son of the woman that has served them for over 30 years. So you, you get that picture now? We're still talking familiar relationships, though we are talking slaves and masters. But today, for us, because we don't have that culture, I think it fits best in the employee-employer relationship. And though we are not family with our employers, uh, most of us here are employees. There's a few of you that are employers. And so God is saying, for Christ to be head over all, for Jesus to be ruler over all, you, employees, willingly serve your employers. As unto the Lord. You can go back, actually. And, and employers respectfully treat employees before the Lord. So we willingly serve as unto the Lord, and employers you respectfully treat before the Lord. You get that? All right, so let's take a look at what that looks like. What does that look like? Well, it's interesting. When you look at verse 5, who does Paul begin with? He begins with slaves. Now, you wouldn't understand this. Maybe I wouldn't either. But that was a radical, radical beginning for Paul. Because for many people in the first century, just sadly, as in American slavery... Many people considered slaves as less than human. Now, that would be at the extreme of one end. They wouldn't even be human. But certainly, moving toward, let's say, full citizenship, most people considered slaves as not very important. But God says, but God says, I'm going to talk to slaves first. When they read this letter, they were going, wait a second, you should be talking to masters first. And God says, no, I'm talking to slaves first because Christianity brings, brings identity to those slaves apart from their slavery and it brings worth to those slaves in Jesus Christ. It brings dignity to those slaves just like it brings dignity to women. Listen, Christianity brings dignity to mankind. The lie is that it's used to oppress mankind and sadly maybe it has been, but that's not Christianity, that's false teaching. Right teaching is that we all are worth something before God because of who God is. And before God, we are all sinners. And in Christ, if you are in Christ before God, we are all sons and daughters before our Father. And so right from the very beginning, there's this radical, radical message. Slaves, you are worth something. Slaves, you are part of the gospel community. I could just imagine a slave sitting there in the congregation. And maybe back then they were sitting in the back. I don't know. Maybe their master was sitting on the front row. And the first thing that Paul is going to say is slaves. And they're like, wow, someone's actually talking to me. You mean God knows who I am? You mean God is addressing me? He's got a command for me? Yes, he does. Because your worth is not based on what you do on this earth. Or what anybody says about you on this earth. Your worth is based on Christ and what he says about you. Isn't that liberating? It's glorious. It's glorious. Now listen to what he says to the slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now remember what I said to you, that slavery in the first century, though it was familial, there were times when it was brutal. There were times when masters were capricious. There were times where they'd beat the slave. They would, they would put their eyes out. They would harm them. They would, they would break their arms. They would do awful things to them. Not always, but there would be times like that. And certainly, a slave was treated very, very poorly at times. And so the first thing God says is, you're worth something. Now, let me speak to you. Obey your masters. That's like in Romans 13. Paul's writing to a, a, a church that's in this pagan culture with a pagan government and, and a ruler that thinks he's God and he's doing awful things to Christians and he says, obey the authorities. It's radical stuff. It's because God's kingdom is not of this world. And so he says, obey. There's a, that Greek word is hupakao. And it's an imperative. It's, it's a strong word. This is the command here. Actually, this command is really the command. He's, gonna, he's only going to talk one verse to masters, four verses to slaves. And he's saying, obey. Obey. What this means is, come under the authority of those over you. So, translating it now to the workplace in the first point, and slaves obey your masters, he's saying to us, come under the authority of our employer. Willingly serve our employer. Come under his authority. Why? Because you're coming under Christ's authority. Because Jesus is Lord. I want to make one more connection for you. Remember in 521, which began this whole section that actually ends today with verse 9. Remember what he says. He says, submitting to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. As a matter of fact, dear friends, I want you to note something. As you look through the verses, all four verses addressed to slaves mention Jesus Christ. This is a strong Christ-centered command. It is a command that says you look to Jesus. In verse 5, you obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. In verse 6, you obey your earthly masters as servants of Christ, your first Christ servant, and then you're that master's servant. Verse 7, you render service to your earthly masters as to the Lord. In verse 8, you will receive good from the Lord. He's saying to the servant on the back row, servant, your identity is as a servant of Christ first. Jesus is involved in this. He is watching. He will reward. It's it's radically Christ-centered. God is calling them to look to Christ, and he's calling us to look to Christ. Because I'm aware of the fact that some of you this morning have some pretty bad bosses. I was doing some research this morning, last night, yesterday, and I was looking up worst jobs in America and, 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 and worst bosses in America. You might be interested to know what the worst jobs in America are. You, you want to know? Now, this is published in the Wall Street Journal, And apparently, careercast.com provides a ranking of 200 jobs. Now, remember, these rankings are based upon many things, okay? They're not just uh, based upon how gross a job is, sort of a micro, you know, dirtiest jobs on Discovery Channel. So, so, you know, we're not talking here about, uh, you know, being a chimney sweeper, you know, who has to crawl into these tight spaces and get all filthy, or a sewer inspector cleaner who has the job of inspecting and then, and then, you know, cleaning these sewers that are filled with filthy matter. No. We're not even talking about a pet food tester. Oh, yes. People who enjoy their job of testing pet food. No. Okay. Those are gross jobs. These are the worst jobs in America. And, and these are the jobs, accordingly, that, that just are not going anywhere or particularly difficult. You know, number 10 is broadcasters. 
Okay, don't get mad at me. This is what the Wall Street Journal published. Number nine, butchers. Number eight, dishwashers. Okay, I can relate to that. Number seven, meter readers. See, I would think it's because of the dogs that bite you, but they say it just because it involves a lot of traveling. Number six, waiters and waitresses. Sorry. Number five, newspaper reporters. Primarily, I think, because newspapers are all dying. Number four, oil rig workers. Number three, enlisted military soldiers. Now, I, I don't know. I, I guess because of the danger. Number two, dairy farmers. And you know what the worst job in America is in 2012? Lumberjacks. <laughs> Lumberjacks. Okay, where'd they get that one from? I don't know. What are the best jobs in America? Best jobs in America. Okay, remember all these criteria that might be a little different than what you're thinking. Number 10, mathematicians. So don't make fun of people with horn rim glasses. Number nine, computer systems analysts. Number eight, online advertising managers. What is that? Number seven, occupational therapists. All right. Number six, audiologists. Audiologists. They diagnose hearing problems and other treatments. Okay, already audiologists. Number five, financial planners. I, I would think after 2004 that might not be the case. Number four, dental hygienists. All right. Number three, human resource managers. All right. Number two, actuaries. What's an actuary? A person who interprets statistics for probability of accidents, illness, and death. Okay? Second best job in America. Number one, yes, software engineer. You knew that, right, Nathan? You were leaning forward, big smile on your face, whispering to your wife, saying, baby, follow me. I'm going to lead you into glory. But, but what we're talking about here is not your job, friend. It's your God. See, the issue isn't your employer. The issue is your Lord. The issue isn't whether you have the best job in America or the worst job, the dirtiest job or the cleanest job. It doesn't matter. That's not the issue. The issue is your God. And will you submit to your God? That's the point. See, God is calling us here to look to Christ. Those first four verses addressed to slaves all have Christ there. He's referencing Jesus Christ. The command is to willingly serve our employer. It's so Christ-centered. See, what we see here is the gospel transforming you so that you no longer look at your employer the way you used to or even your job the way you used to. I mean, these are the way the world looks at them, with variables, mostly financial and, and, and things that this world would look at. But God is saying, no, no, don't just value it, don't just judge it that way, but see it as I see your job. A job is a holy calling. The Bible does not have this secular, sacred distinction. God calls us to work. As much as He's called me to preach, He's called you to work. And it's holy, and it's good, and it's right. God made you to work. Work is not part of the fall. Work is blessed. But in the fall, then, work became cursed because of our sin. And Jesus is redeeming that. He's bringing everything back underneath himself. And part of that is you willingly serving your employer. He changes your view. When you cook a meal, ladies, and you're working at home, this is your workplace, you cook it for Christ. 
When you teach children, teachers in the classroom, you teach for Christ. When you type a letter, you clean a bathroom, you prepare a report. When you serve a customer, it's all for Christ, unto Christ. See Christ's face. And this turns the mundane into a glorious exercise. It elevates things. Our work is a calling from God. I, I was recently reminded of this with my mother's illness. She has been served round the clock for over two weeks now by nurses at Memorial Miramar. I don't know if these women know the Lord. I suspect a few do. But they have served my mother in an exemplary fashion. One of them, Nicole, who last night came in and gave us the great news that mom's breathing now is sufficient to oxygenate her blood so that her organs won't fail. And so now she just has these two little tubes in her nose, no longer the intubation. And she informed us that they're probably going to move mom from ICU to, uh, from critical care to intermediate care, move her from ICU to telemetry on Monday. And she was so happy for us. And, and Nicole just serves us. And as we were leaving the hospital late last night, my sister pulled me aside and said, you know, Al, you know that gentleman, that 47-year-old gentleman who passed away two days ago? I said, yeah, I remember. I remember the family there crying. I, 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 I was crying. I hate death. It's, it's an awful enemy. She said, you know, Nicole attended the wake today. I thought, this is a woman who's not just punching a time clock, getting her money, and going home. This is someone who's serving. And then I thought about the nurses in our church that have served my mother heroically. I thought of Ressi and Denise and Jessica and Rosa. And if there's others of you that have gone, I'm not aware of. Thank you. But I thought of how they get there and how they love. And I see the love in their eyes. And I know that's how they treat their patients. They do it as if they were treating Jesus Christ himself. That's what God's talking about. Not just in the hospital but from those of us who are filled by the Spirit of God that are not going to walk the walk. We're transformed by the Lord. We serve Him and not ourselves. This is our primary duty. It's not easy, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of our conversion. You see, friends, as we serve our employer, we are coming under the headship of Christ. He is ruling our lives. Jesus rules my life as I serve my employer willingly. So what does that look like? What does it look like to willingly serve my employer? Well, A, it looks like with fear and trembling. Look at the scripture again. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, let me tell you, that word fear and trembling isn't some cowering before a master that's beating me. No, 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 no. In in Colossians, actually, Colossians 3.22, it's translated fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord. It's an attitude of due reverence and awe in the presence of God. It's a godly fear that we have because we reverence God and we remember the last day. Friends, we fear God, not man. See, I think what he was saying to those slaves is, that master can do nothing to you that that I don't allow. Now, that opens up a whole other batch of questions. But it it remains firm then in our minds that God is sovereign and he's placed me underneath that master. And I may be suffering, but you know, Jesus suffered more. And I'm going to now image my father and my God as I obey this man willingly or this person willingly in the fear and trembling of God. Of God. What else does it look like? It looks like to serve willingly with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. 
that we serve with a sincere heart be as unto the Lord, as unto Christ. What does that mean? It means no hypocrisy. It means no ulterior motives. Reading from P.T. O'Brien, the Christian slave will not be guided by false ulterior motives, but will serve his or her master conscientiously and with sincerity. This kind of inner commitment can can occur only as slaves recognize that in serving their masters, they are rendering obedience to their heavenly Lord Christ. The performance of their earthly tasks is related to his rule over their lives. Isn't that glorious? This morning, God is saying, I want you to see the authority over you as representing Christ's authority. What? Yes. Back to Romans 13. All authority is of God. They're they're ministers of God. They're servants of God. But they're wicked. They don't believe the way I do. This guy thinks he's a God, speaking of Caesar. Today, we might say other things about other authorities in in our lives, governmental authorities. Oh, friend, be careful how you speak of them. Be careful of your heart attitude toward them. Lest you somehow say, God, it rules over all, except for that particular individual holding that particular office. And lest we get so bent out of shape about our current employer that it becomes about him. Let me remind you, this is not about your employer, it's about your God. And will you serve him? Will you serve him? So when he's speaking of serving with sincere hearts as unto Christ, he gives us one of these put-offs and put-ons. I want you to see that. Look back now in verse 6. With a sincere heart, at the end of 5, as you would Christ, look at verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. That's the put-off. That's the put-off. That's see there. We're not to do it as people pleasers. We are not to willingly serve our employer as people pleasers. We're not to be hypocrites. We're not to perform our service to attract attention. We're not to do it so that we could gain something, so that we could gain a, a, a promotion, but rather we're to do it to please God. And our conscience. We're we're to seek God's favor. We're we're, we're to live in the fear of God, not in the fear of man. Let me translate this for you. (laughs) We're to work even when the boss isn't looking. Uh, I'll never forget when I was a a lieutenant in Germany 30-some years ago. And I was serving with the uh, 7th U.S. Army Field Artillery Detachment in Germany, and, and my boss was a guy named Colonel Knob. I, I was impressed with Colonel Knob, primarily because he, he played for Notre Dame when he was in college. Also because he was very big. And I'll never forget, as a lieutenant, I was responsible for an area, and there was this training we were supposed to do for our troops. And uh, it involved this old machine with a bulb and this little tiny screen, and it would train them how to do combat operations and all that stuff. And, and while they were on guard duty, we were to make sure that they watched these things. Well, no one wanted to watch these things. These things were poorly made. They were horrible. Okay? It was the best way to put a guy to sleep there was. And since you would get in trouble if you went to sleep on guard duty, I said, guys, don't worry about the machine. Just remove the bulb. We'll just have the machine there. And I'll never forget, man, one night I'm duty officer and Colonel Knob comes in, you know, big old guy. He walks over to the machine. You know, it's like Colonel Knob, right? He knows what's going on. He's not a dummy. Walks over to the machine, reaches over, puts the flap down and reaches in and looks. He goes, 
there's no bulb in here. And he looked at me and said, Lieutenant, do you know the meaning of eyewash? Basically, I'm trying to pull one over. I said, yes, sir. He just turned around and walked out. So that's an example where I was not serving my boss when he wasn't looking. I was working only to impress him, but I wasn't wholeheartedly wanting to do the work as unto the Lord. So here's the question for you. What do you do when the boss is not looking? Here's another question. What do you say about the boss when he's not there or she's not there? If I were to take a camera and video your conversation in the break room or when you go out to lunch with your workmates, what would you say? You see, see, the man pleaser says, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, boss, you're the greatest boss, you're the greatest boss. And then when he goes to lunch, he says, that guy's an idiot. And joins in with all the other complaining. And what God is saying to us, what he's saying to that slave, because you know the slaves were tempted to that. He's saying, listen, you serve him as unto me. You don't do it to please him, but to please me. So that's the question God has for us. You work hard. You work hard as unto the Lord. Let me ask this question. Are you known for doing a good, thorough job? Or are you known for doing shoddy work? Are you a guy, sadly like I was, that the boss has to come around and make sure there's the bulb in the machine? Are you one that is so trusted at work that you know that you're going to work hard, not simply as a people pleaser, but as a God pleaser, and you're going to do that job 110%? Not because you're trying to manipulate, not because you're trying to get anything, but because you love your Savior. Because you see in the face of that boss's authority, the face of Christ's authority, and you are serving Christ. And now the put on. D, do the will of God from the heart. Do the will of God from the heart. From the heart. This is relating to what I just finished talking about. Rendering service with goodwill as unto the Lord, not to man. Note the Godwardness of this command. God is, God is the focus here. Why? Because God is watching. God is watching. Oh, the Lord has done so many good things to us. Therefore, we serve Him. We serve Him. We're seen as wholehearted. We're seen as zealous. We're seen as eager. We're seen as enthusiastic. We work for our bosses as a result of doing it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Whatever good we do, friends, we will receive back from the Lord. Oh, that's a powerful passage. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Oh, friends, the New Testament is consistent in this, and Paul is consistent in this throughout the Scriptures. Judgment is according to works. Not for salvation, but when we get to heaven... We will be judged for what we did on earth. What we do now matters in eternity. Our salvation is secure in Christ. I'm not talking about that. But there's a clear connection between good deeds and reward. It's all over Scripture. Romans 2.6. Let's read that. Romans 2.6. says the following. He will render to each one according to his works. Romans 2.6, he will render to each one according to his works. Colossians 
3.24. Colossians 3.24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Notice the context there. Colossians and and Ephesians are parallel, both written at the same time, both written from prison, very similar epistles. Paul wrote them both. So in in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do... Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. This passage speaks of our eyes being on the right place. We will be paid back, friends. We will receive a reward, friends. Galatians says, what you sow, you will reap. Oftentimes, I fear that we, we can lose that sometimes if we don't keep the tension that's in Scripture. Our salvation is fully in Christ. I cannot do anything to gain God's salvation, but I can do things that will affect the reward that I receive in heaven. Scripture teaches that. Don't lose that thinking. We trust the Lord, but we live today in light of that day. We live today in light of that day. So I am serving my Savior and I am serving my employer, remembering that one day I'll stand before Him. So I willingly serve my Savior. I willingly serve my Savior in the fear and trembling of the Lord. I willingly serve my Savior with a sincere heart as unto Christ. I willingly serve my my employer and not as a people pleaser, but as a God pleaser. I willingly serve my employer as I do the will of God from the heart, knowing that there will come a day when I will stand before my God and answer for how I served my employer. And, if you are an employer here today, there will come a day that you stand before your God and answer for how you treat your employee. And that's point number two. Notice the the transition here in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, where it says, Knowing that he who is both their master and your, excuse me, he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. He will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. So what is he saying to the employer? He's saying, listen, everything that I've just said to the employee applies to you. You will stand before me one day and give an answer for how you treated your slave, first century, your employee, 21st century. So that's what it says in in verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You know what this is? This is the golden rule. This is the golden rule. This This is God telling us, reminding us, how do you want to be treated? Then you treat others that way. This is This is servant leadership. This is saying to leaders, to employers, by the way, I think, I think you could say this to, to husbands as they lead their wives. Listen, you cherish your wife. You build your wife up as Christ has built you up. As a matter of fact, notice what he says to the masters. Masters, do the same to them, verse 9, and stop threatening. Sounds a lot like what he says to fathers and by extension to mothers. Don't provoke your children. You're going to both stand before me one day. The father and the mother will answer for how they raised the child. The child will answer for how they obeyed and honored the father and mother. And so here, we both stand before God. There's no partiality. And the master will answer for how he has treated his slave. The employer will answer for how he's treated his employee. And the employee will answer for how he has obeyed or served the master. 
What, what I love about this is that it, it is treating slaves as human beings. It, 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 is, it is bringing this aspect of relationships to bear. Listen, punishment, threats, you may be able to get something out of those. Parent, you are bigger than your small child. And if you just threaten them and yell at them and, and, and maybe institute corporal punishment in an angry way, which is not what the Bible's talking about, you may cower them into obeying you. But let me tell you, there'll come a day when they grow up and that, will, that, that seed that you planted will come back with bitter fruit. Bitter fruit. And so he's saying to masters, back then they would do this. You can threaten to punish them. You can threaten to break their arm. You can threaten to gouge their eye out. But that is not God's way. You are not coming underneath the headship of Christ if you treat them that way. But rather, you build relationally. That doesn't mean that masters serve their slaves. That's a wrong interpretation there. No, no. This is a relationship. The master is the master. The slave is the slave. It doesn't mean the employers just give the keys to the whole business to the employees. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that as we lead employers, we do so remember these are human beings. We remember that we both stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. We do it remembering that we will both answer to God. As a matter of fact, masters, first century, please remember this, that though you're the master and they're the slave, Ultimately, I'm your master and you're my slave. I'm your master and you're my servant. Just like God is our father and we are his child fathers. Yes, we are fathers and we have children. But firstly, we are children. Firstly, master, you're a servant. You're a slave of God, of Jesus Christ. That's why Nathan's theme today in worship was being a servant. Being a servant. Having the heart of a servant. God, who is your master, as well as the master of your servant or slave, he's watching. And there's no partiality with God. None. There's no special deals, master. There's no higher social status in heaven that gives you an advantage that somehow you can pay off somebody when you get to the final judgment seat. You can't pull your weight. You know, you can't walk into the restaurant and say, hey, I know somebody, I'll get a seat. No, it is all level on that final day. Isn't that great? Parents, it's a good thing to remember. Children, it's a good thing to remember. Husbands, it's a good thing to remember. Masters, you must remember this. Don't be influenced by appearances. Yeah, you've got all the money. Yeah, that person wakes up early. Yeah, they do all these things for you. But oh my, before God, he sees you He sees you the same as his servants. He's given you different roles and they're appropriate. You are the master, they are the slave. But treat them, treat them as if you were treating the Lord. Treat them with respect. Treat them with love. Treat them graciously. So if you're an employer here, my question to you is, are you gracious to your employees? Do you listen to them? Are you kind to them? I believe that's the application here. I believe the appeal from God this morning is this. Employees, see yourself as Christ's servants and see your employers as representing Christ's authority. And I believe God is saying to employers, see yourself as Christ's servants and see your employees as those for whom you will give an account and treat them as you would want to be treated. Both employee and employer will stand under the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how they came under His authority in God's prescribed relationships on earth. 
how they treated one another, how they served one another. Oh, friend, let me ask you this. Has Christ changed your perspective of your employer or your employee? Has Jesus Christ and the gospel changed your perspective? Do you see Jesus at work? Do you pray to be filled with the Spirit every morning as you go to work? Now we must see Jesus. Let's see His face in the faces of those with whom we work. And that's my prayer this morning. That we would see His face in the face of our workplace to receive His powerful grace. Apart from that, we won't. Apart from that, it'll become about my employer or about my employee. Apart from that, the employer is, is, is complaining that, you know, young people today, they just don't know how to work. I can't believe I told them to do this and I come back the next day and they're not doing it. And we become harsh and mean and, and we're not under Christ's authority. Or as employees, we think, you know, that boss is unreasonable. They're not paying me enough. It becomes all about our employer or employee and we forget that it should be all about our God. We must pray to be filled with the Spirit and come under Christ's headship this morning, dear friends. That's my prayer for you. So let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that for my friends this morning in this message, you would have spoken a word of hope, perhaps to those that are laboring under an employer who is unreasonable, perhaps those that have been fired unreasonably, let go in a very cold-hearted way, tempted to be bitter, tempted to make it about the employer. Oh, Father, would you redirect their vision to their Savior? That it's not about their employer, but it's about you. It's about your kingdom. And Lord, if there are employers here that are frustrated with their employees, they, 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 they come to work cynical and sarcastic and, and angry and, 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 and they're just abusing with their attitudes, their put-downs, their harshness. Oh God, would you draw their hearts to this truth that one day they will give an account for how they're treating their employees. That at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. That there's no partiality with you, Father. Lord, my prayer is as a church, we would come under the headship of Christ. We would fight the spiritual warfare that you're calling us to fight, to submit to you firstly, and then to the godly authorities in our lives, and those authorities in our lives that don't appear very godly. But, oh, Father, may we never say that somehow you're not in control, even of the ones that are ungodly that are abusing us. Because you are in control. It is your kingdom. The battle is raging. The, the battlefield today is our workplace. Last week it was in our families and the week before in our marriages. Oh God, but the battle is yours. You are the commander in chief and we bow our knee to you. We don't want to be renegade. We don't want to be AWOL. We want to be your servants, your soldiers, your sons, your daughters. And Father, through tears we say, help us. to serve willingly. Deliver us from manipulating and man-pleasing and hypocrisy and backbiting and being two-faced and disloyal. I just want to pause with every head bowed. I just, I just sense there's some of you, the conviction of God is coming on you on, on things you've been saying. You're undermining authority. And that's not who you are. That's who the devil and his children are. 
that you are a son or a daughter of Jesus, of God the Father through Jesus Christ your Lord. And, and God has called you to willingly serve, to do it from the heart, looking to Christ, not looking to your employer, looking for a reward that may never come on this world, may never come in this earth, may never come to your bank account, may never come to your resume, but a reward that is imperishable. All those things are going to perish. A reward that is in eternity forever and ever and ever. And God wants to fill you with this spirit this morning. That tomorrow, you can walk this out in your workplace. Oh, help us, God. Help us have, Lord, help us be a church that has a good testimony at work. Help us to be seen as hard workers, as loyal men and women. Lord, help us to be able to bring an opposing view, but do it loyally. We don't want to be yes men or yes women, but God, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be courageous. We want to fear you and not man. We want to crave your approval, not man's. And thankfully, we have your approval in Christ. From that place, we can serve joyfully. Oh, Lord, I just pray for those right now this morning who aren't joyful. Lord, there's some here this morning that dread going to work tomorrow. Or whenever it is they go to the work tonight. Lord, would you bring joy to their hearts as you change their perspective? That their joy would not be based on who they work for, or even what they do, or how much they earn. But it would be based on who, whom they are serving. You, Christ. That you would turn the mundane, mindless, into the glorious that they would see eternity and not just the everyday. Lift our heads that we might see Jesus. Father, make us servants like your son. Jesus, you are. Jesus, you were. Jesus, you will always be. Let's stand and sing that as a prayer to our Father.